Boston throws it down. Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up three pointer. Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! Welcome to the NBA! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coast to Coast. We are back for another podcast and joining me as always is Christian Nambu. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Ronan? How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. So the week has finally come. First we had the trade and now we have had the first sighting of Kyrie Irving, James Harden and Kevin Durant on the court for the Brooklyn Nets. A three-headed beast is here, but things weren't all rosy, and uh, all we got to talk about really is how good the Cleveland Cavaliers are and how good they're looking to really have a big year. Yeah, man, we, we're jump, we'll jump straight into it. We, we, we're not sure what we're going to talk about today, but they gave us all the content we wanted in that game last night where the Cavs ultimately, like you said, they ruined that arrival of the big three there in Brooklyn. Um, on the same day we're, we're inaugurating our next president, the Nets are trying to inaugurate their big three, and the Cavs had other ideas for that. Um, but, man, I mean, first and foremost, before we start anywhere, you got to talk about your boy, Colin Sexton. I, I got I got to take back all the slander I've, I've had about him. I've, I've got to take back my, I guess, they look bad now, the, my takes about them building around him. Um, man, just, like, what a culmination of – of just scoring prowess throughout the whole game after not being in for the last few. And I I just was shocked. I was shocked that they were even in this game and how they pulled it out in the end. Yeah, I was actually just, I I didn't even realize he was in the starting five. I was kind of thinking about watching the game and then I was just like, oh God, there's not even gonna, I'm not even gonna have sex in on on Cleveland's end to give me a little bit of excitement. Then Then I just flicked it on just as they were doing the announcement of the lineups. I hear his name and it was like, yes. All right, we got a bit of excitement from Cleveland, thinking it was going to be a blowout win for Brooklyn, as I think most people were. Then, of course, we go all the way through double overtime, and the Nets end up winning it by 12 points. And Sexton, he was just, he was unbelievable. 42 points, five boards, five assists. He shot great from the field 16 of 29 he, he was 5 of 11 from 3 this guy was just unbelievable he scored 20 straight points in overtime I mean and the biggest compliment you can pay him is because he was struggling down the stretch and early in overtime he was taking some bad shots and struggling didn't face a lot of bad shots look good too yeah and then he just he just stepped up and 
just did did the nets in. It, it was very impressive from Colin Sexton, and I I was loving every minute of it because I'm a big Colin Sexton guy. Look at you! You haven't got me all the way there yet. I, I still have a lot of questions about his his future in the league um, in terms of where where he's going to be as a is he a best guy is he the second best guy in a championship team um i mean these are crazy questions to be asking about a uh barely 22 year old on a struggling Cavs team but like that that's see that that automatically came out of me i'm, I'm automatically saying struggling Cavs team this is this team is the third their best team in the, the east right now for standings i mean they're 500 that's more than you can expect from what i would have thought they would be in the beginning um but just talking about his shooting he has gotten really good at diversifying his his uh, his shot making ability. Like he's not just driving like crazy to the rim and putting up some crazy floaters and just trying to get through people. He's also gotten a lot better at shooting the mid range. And when, when you're talking about three from shooting from three, like he missed every shot until that game winner. So, I mean, kudos to him for for having the balls to take that shot at the end. And guess what? He didn't miss in overtime. He's hit every single one of his threes. He went five for five from game winner to the end. And one of those shots to ice the game, which was the most impressive to me, is he's on Kyrie. He gets that switch off the Nance screen. And I'm thinking he's got to dump that to Nance against Kyrie in, in the post. But no, he steps back on Kevin Durant and ices the game in double overtime. And that was that was a big moment for me. I, I didn't expect that from him. I mean, he's, he's always had this, this fiery personality. He's always been a tough competitor, but I, you really saw it come together against, you know, three of the league's best. Yeah, no, that was, that was really interesting for me. I'm not sure if it was late in the, in uh, the, the regular, regular, regular time or early in the first overtime that he went for a three and Durant blocked him. So that made it even more impressive that he was confident enough to take on that three over Durant to ice, to ice the game, which was which was was really great. I mean, he's only played nine games so far this year. The Cavs are five and four when he plays. You know he's going to make a big difference to this team. He's averaging twenty seven a game. Him and Garland in that backcourt. Sadly, we've only got to see Garland in six games so far this year. But I mean, Sexton, you know, they're 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 a thing that it's okay to talk about. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but given the, the state that uh, the Cavs have been in, I think uh, just being just making it okay to be talking about them is, is a step in the right direction for Cleveland. And and without Garland, they're no longer Sexland. And I saw this on Twitter. I can't take credit for this. They're they're the Mile High Club. They're all sex and no land. <laughs> but let, let's talk about the the, re, the rest of the Cavs before we and and we won't. I promise you, and I promise myself, I won't overreact to, to the performance that the Nets had. It's it's just one game, um, but I want to talk about the Cavs a little bit. And a big contrast that I saw between them and the Nets, and this could be a problem for the Nets moving forward, but was the depth. So the Cavs had seven guys in double figures. Meanwhile, the Nets bench scored ten points. I mean, I, I wonder to to the Cavs' credit, but to the Nets dismay. I wonder how much of an issue that's going to be moving forward. Yeah, it's it, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I mean, that was just that was where you saw the great coaching out of uh, JB Bickerstaff. I mean, that moment towards the end of the first, when 
it was just James Harden on the floor and then it was the reserves for, for Brooklyn. That's when the Cavs first kind of took that step and, and built up a bit of a lead. And that kind of gave them the standing to, to ultimately win the game. Obviously, uh, the, the Nets came back at them a lot, but that was that was the first moment. And like the the rest outside of the main guys, the, the rest of the team really struggled in that game. Obviously, that's going to change. This this wasn't a team performance, obviously, from Brooklyn. This was it was a lot of kind of this individuals, an awkward kind of game for them. But the the Cavs did did what you have to do. They they stayed brave. They stayed patient. And they were able to expose the weaknesses of the Brooklyn team. Yeah, the, their whole their whole team seemed poised, and that's something that is different for me. What watching the Cavs, especially in a game against Harden, Durant, Irving, I expected them to fold. I expected them, especially in that fourth quarter. That that was huge for me. And you could talk about the Cavs coughing up a thirteen point lead, but for me the stars in this league, they're always going to get theirs. They're always going to get hot. You can't stop them all game long. Um, Even though I I thought the Cavs played a impressive uh, defense against three of the best scorers in the league. I mean, these are three of the, not just today, but historically great scorers in this league. They're, They're going to score eventually. So to hold them and to keep the game tied, I think that was huge for me that to see when Sexton wasn't getting his shot, to see Nance step up and hit a three, to see Chetty Osmond step up and throughout the whole game, not just scoring, but also assisting. He had seven assists that night. They've relied on him a lot to be moving the ball when a guy like Sexton isn't really a primary playmaker. So they really had playmaking by committee in a way that I was very impressed by. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was... It was really, really great to see. And you saw how much it meant to the whole Cavs team. You saw how they celebrated every single shot, every single steal, every single deflection, everything. They were going, they were getting so hyped for every move. I think they 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 were doing that. Like you can see uh Torian Prince and Jared Allen, they were determined to kind of go out there and give a bit of a bit of an FU to Brooklyn with their with their performances there last night. And that's exactly what they went and did. Yep, nobody thought about the Torian Prince revenge game. They didn't think about that on when they when they went to the locker room. Torian Prince played well. That's that's another guy I haven't. Maybe the Cavs is where all the guys I disrespect go, and they figured out. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not sold on on him being any long term piece there. But if he can find his form that he had developed in Atlanta, where he was a really good on ball defender really good three-point shooter because that's what he did throughout the game he kept him in it 17 points in his debut I was impressed with that and I was really impressed with Jared Allen we've seen him do that throughout the season um and you weren't really sure how his role was going to look there in Cleveland just in one game so far though do you think that they start to move towards Jared Allen and what does Andre Drummond's role in this team start to look like I'm not sure I think last night, obviously, it's, it's hard to say. It was just you could just say it was just the, the way that the game the game was laid out. But they went with Drummond early for his kind of more dominant offense, and then down the stretch, it was all Jared Allen because they knew they needed some solid offense, but more importantly, high quality defense. That's exactly what they got out of Jared Allen. So I think that could be a move that they look to 
to kind of uh, play as they move forward in this season. They have Drummond in early, but when they're in tight games and they're going down the stretch, they get Allen in to provide some offense, but more importantly, high-quality high defense. Yeah, I, that's a really intriguing thing for me. Um, and the fact that we're I'm intrigued about the Cavs, that's, that's saying something. Um, I'm, <laughs> you, you've changed my mind. Mm-hmm. Let's be to be accurate. Colin Sexton has changed my mind, but I'm I'm interested in how this team goes. They had they had Isaac Okoro last night guarding Kyrie Irving most of the night. I mean, he did look like a rookie. He had his share of fouls. He had his share of turnovers, um, a couple of which almost cost him the game at the end. But they relied on a 19 year old to be playing right up on Kyrie Irving all night. And even though Kyrie Irving got his points, that's that's exciting to me that they're already leaning in on him to be the primary defender. So I, I wonder, is there a future then where you have Colin Sexton as your, your two guard? He's, he's your dynamic scoring guard. If Garland is your primary playmaker, then Okoro just cleans up the mess and just guards the best player. Like is, is that maybe that's their sustainable vision of the future for these young guys? Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously they were the, the Cavs, the Cavs made sure they were getting that Okoro uh, in the draft. I think there was other guys that I think a lot of the scouts and a lot of the media were kind of pressuring them to, to maybe look at, but they made, they wanted Okoro as their guy because this is a guy that can come in and immediately add something on the defensive end. And you can see the coach basically a first-year coach. I think it was 11 games he had uh, of, of the last season. And the, big, the biggest thing he's come in here to do is to try and make this team more defensively solid. I mean, that's kind of all he's, he's really been able to do because if you look at their stats, opponent points per game, they're sitting in fourth and defensive rating, they're in third. You compare that to last year where they were 22nd in, a, in opponent's uh, points per game and 29th in defensive rating. I mean, you can see he's spotted the weakness and he's trying to tend to that while developing the other aspects in, in the kind of at the same time, but focusing most importantly on having a solid defensive base before they really look to, to kind of cash in on their, on their offensive talent. Yeah, for me, it was a joke in the beginning. Like, talking about the Cavs as a top-five defense, it was, it was a joke. It was a joke of, of all these statistical abnormalities that you see throughout the beginning of a season. And I did not think that that was going to keep up. And watching them throughout the stretch, having guys like um, Nance, who has been very underrated this season, but has been playing very well. His shooting, it's not going to stay this good, but it's been fantastic. He's been one of the best stretch bigs in the league. But the way that he can switch and use his athleticism to guard really the two, two through five even, I, that's been super underrated. And, and having guys like him and now having Jared Allen adding to that interior defense, I think this is something that they, they may regress to, to top 10, top 12. But for a young team like this, a team that, like you were saying, was that bad on, on the defensive end last year, to have them be this much better, it's a surprise to me. Um, and I'm excited. I'll give it to you. I'm excited now. I'll give them the credit where credit's due and we'll see where they go with this in the future. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about the Nets. Let's talk about what this loss means. In in a game where Harden, Kyrie, and Durant logged career highs in regular season minutes in a game, they combined for almost 150 minutes 
for the three of them. They did combine for 96 points. They did go off, but it wasn't enough. And what, what did you see out of their first few minutes together? It was just very clearly a group of guys that were not used to playing together and didn't know really how to play together on the floor. Don't get me wrong, that will come as the season progresses. That was kind of always going to be the case. But it just felt awkward. There was the best plays for each of them throughout the game were all in isolation play. Uh, so it was kind of what was expected. Don't get me wrong, I was expecting them to win even, even with what was likely going to be an awkward, awkward first game. But yeah, it was just three individuals. They all played pretty good games. Uh, well, I say pretty good. I mean, KD had a, a, as quiet a 38-12-8 and eight game as you're likely to see, as, as he so often does. Harden had another triple-double. Kyrie had 37. I mean, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was still pretty impressive, and it was still kind of that, that little thing in the back of your head. You're like, this is them playing when they're not really in the flow as a team yet, when they're not playing their best form. Harden's still not fully in shape. Kyrie just coming back after his little break. So, I mean... His little break, is that what we're calling it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was awkward, but I mean, you just got to give credit to, to, to Cleveland for, for the outcome of the result, really. Yeah, I'm curious to see, because we're not going to break down, like, if this is all going to work, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm sick of seeing that because, look, in like you said it, in their first game back, they scored 96 together. They all went off, and there were times where it doesn't fit, but ultimately they're going to score. They're going to score enough points to keep them in games. Um, I guess the major questions for me is the obvious one is the defense. You know, Cavs are not the best. In fact, they're damn near the worst offensive team in the league. And I'm not sure how much of that is, is based on how much they slow down the game. They're, they're not a, a very high paced team. So that some of the advanced stats on their offense is a little wonky, but they're definitely not the team that should be putting up 140 plus points against. Yeah, no, no, let, let's just look at it like this. The, the Cavs for the season are averaging 103 points per game and Brooklyn gave up 147 to them. So that's, just, that's, all, <laughs> exactly. that, that's, all, that's all you need to say. Exactly. And I, I wondered on the offensive end, how this is going to work out in terms of not just the rotations, but when all three of them are on the floor together, that, that's where, how are you going to squeeze the most out of these guys? Because it's not going to get it done if you're just having Kyrie get the ball, then Harden get the ball, then one of them play makes and the next one play makes. Like there, there was no flow to that, like you said. And again, it's just the first game. Not going to make any major assumptions about that. And Harden said it, and he's absolutely right. It's all about patience, patience, patience it's going to come, but I wonder who's going to be the primary playmaker there. And I think it's got to be Harden to me. It's got to be Harden. And as much as I'd love to see Harden go back to his thunder days of playing off ball, because I think that would be a fantastic way for him to transition onto this team. I don't think that Kyrie is a primary playmaker the way that you'd want him to be. I don't, I don't think he runs a pick and roll in a way that can facilitate the success of other people. And that's something that has followed him since Boston. And you didn't see a lot of that in, in Cleveland because it wasn't him running the point. LeBron was running the point most of the time there. Delvado was running the point most of the time there. 
Marcus Smart was running a lot of the point when, when he was in Boston. So I don't think that he really can elevate everyone around him in the way that I think Harden can. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. The, the, the biggest thing that's kind of getting at me is the fact that people keep going on now about how Kyrie is coming in and upsetting the flow of KD and Harden. People have already forgotten how good KD and Kyrie were looking before Harden got there. I mean, those two guys were looking great to start the season. And now Kyrie's coming in and uh, he's the poison now. He's he's killing everything <laughs> that Durant and Harden, you know what I mean? Shut up. Like, that's just so stupid. But, I mean, yeah, okay, it's not... They're going to get it all not, season long. Yeah, it's not, it's not perfect right now, but it's going to come. I mean, if it's still like this in a month or two, yeah, maybe you can start make, having your questions and, and having a go at them. But for now, let's just, let's just cut them a bit of slack. Let them have a bit of time to uh to uh become become a team really i mean the main thing they did last night is they kind of stayed in it all the way and that's kind of all they have to do you would think in in nine times out of ten with the offense that they possess once they are within a couple of baskets in a game you would have to be backing them to win because they just have so many options to to score i think there's talk that KD didn't get the ball enough down the stretch and that Kyrie was taking too many shots, but I don't think you can really question who takes the shots. Once it's Kyrie, Harden, or Durant, I'm kind of like, I'm okay with any one of them being the one to take the shot because I think they're all, they all have the ability to make shots in clutch times. They've all done it in the past and they will continue to do it. So I don't, I don't see a point in questioning who, who's taking the shots down the stretch. The only thing that was kind of interesting to me was when there was about, what, seven, eight seconds left in the overtime, Jeff Green was the one who took the three to, to put them uh, three points up before Sexton, of course, forced it into the double overtime. But it was interesting that they trusted Green enough to be the one to, to take the shot in that moment. That, that's, a good, that's a good sign, I think, because... There's going to be moments throughout the season where they're going to have to rely on the likes of Harris and the likes of Green being just so making open shots because they're going to have so many opportunities to just catch and shoot and they're going to be open as anything and they're going to have to be able to knock them down. Absolutely. Jeff, Jeff Green, since uh, the Harden trade happened and they, they sent away Jared Allen, they sent away Torian Prince, Jeff Green just became the most important role player on this team. I mean, Joe Harris, shoot all your threes. Um, Landry Shamit, by the way, caught a DNP, which it's not looking good for this guy who's supposed to be their second elite shooter. Jeff Green is not just important in hitting those open shots, but on the defensive end too. They, they are going to need his minutes. And the reason why is look at how Kyrie Irving was playing defense against, I mean, I'll give him all the credit. Colin Sexton was playing amazing. But if Kyrie Irving can't stay in front of Colin Sexton, that's going to be a major issue for a team that is what you're going to rely on DeAndre Jordan to clean up every single pick and roll for a whole game. You're going to, you're going to get scored on 140 points a game. If you let it happen like that, they're going to need guys like Jeff Green to be rotating. They're going to need to ultimately add more pieces to this because that, that was seemed to be the issue all game long is that um, Sexton could get to whatever spot he wanted to in the pick and roll. Um, their rotations looked a little bit dusty. They didn't. They didn't look like they were very crisp on that. And I think the tough thing is going back to the minutes. Durant is going to be relied on as 
a major source of interior defense. And he's going to do that on, on both ends of the floor all game long for, you can't do this every, every single game for the rest of the season. I mean, he looks great now, but there is that Achilles injury that's lurking behind him. It's, it's going to be lurking there until he's, he's played one, two, three seasons. Like we're, we're going to be thinking about that. I'm sure he's thinking about that too. And the Nets coaching staff have to be thinking about that. They, they can't be sacrificing these game these, uh, these minutes just to win regular season games. I think they really need to seriously think about how long they're going to be playing these guys out there just to win games, even if it's at the cost of more chemistry. I'm not sure if, if he keeps logging 35, 36 minute games all season long, if he's going to last, I just don't, I just don't see it. Yeah. I just, I would say, I would disagree with you just saying that I hope that KD is not thinking about that. I hope that is not in his mind because that would be a real plague on him. You have to hope that the coaching staff have it in their heads. And you think surely Nash is aware that this is a playoff team. That's all that it is. He doesn't have to put too much pressure on himself to show too much in the regular season. They are going to, they, they can lose 25, 30 games this year. That, that, that's okay. They'll be in the playoffs. Of course you want the, that, that higher rank and I don't think they will lose that many games, but he can't be too, he can't be afraid to rest players in fear that, the team might lose a few games and some questions are going to be asked about him. He has to just be, he has to be kind of act like more experienced than he actually is at, at a coaching level. Like the pressure is going to come regardless. He just, he just has to be smart about it and has to, to know when to rest his players and know when to just give them little, just even shorter minutes, like have Kev Katie, all of them kind of play 30 minute games compared to playing 36, 37 minute games when, when, when it's a, uh, when they're able to kind of uh, afford that. Yeah, it's up to it's up to Nash to figure that out. And it's on the bench players too. Um, I mean, Bruce Bruce Brown gave them nothing. They, they gave him some defense, but I mean, he gave them absolutely nothing. Nash just couldn't keep him out there. And I mean, Champions didn't even see the floor. Um, they, they need depth and they need it fast in order to keep those guys alive. And, um, and, and back to the coaching thing, real, real quick. I, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned it earlier, um, the ISO ball. It, it looked like um, D'Antoni Rockets in, in certain possessions, at spreading spreading the floor out and just having Harden, just having Kyrie go to work. And that that to me seems to be the best best case scenario for how they structure this team moving forward, especially if, if you have – Kyrie on the wing you have Durant on the wing and you have Harden handling the ball like I think Harden's going to make the best pass given how he's played these past few games he hasn't been looking to create his own shot every time he hasn't been he hasn't been taking nearly as many step backs we'll see how it is in a week or two but he's been looking to pass and I I hope that they hand the offense to him and allow him to create for others I think that's gonna be the best case scenario for them moving forward yeah, I think you mentioned Antonio. You just kind of have to wonder how much of it you kind of it's always going to be in the back of your head. Like, is this really his team? Just because the way, like, I know Nash is like the face, but Antonio is the kind of the guy constantly in his ear, basically telling him every move to make as the experienced guy on the bench. There, that's kind of something that's always gonna gonna be in the back of my head, even watching the Nets throughout the year. Yeah, I wonder. That's that's those interesting things. I wonder how much impact they have on the game. As you hear about how Phil Jackson 
uh, how important it was for him to have Tex Winter developing the triangle offense. Like it wasn't Phil Jackson developing that offense. It was Tex Winter. It was his assistant coach. And especially for a first year coach, I must be huge for Steve to be having that by his side. Um, but I'm, I'm sure it must be really funny for D'Antoni to have gotten away from Houston and then, then Harden's back there. And I wonder how much of that connection is, uh, is an issue or if it's not, if, if, there's, if it's just awkward at all. But I, I know that it, it felt like D'Antoni was trying to find, like turn a press page and go somewhere different. And he's got basically the same situation all over again, especially if Nash doesn't figure it out and he has to kind of step in and, and be the primary uh, coaching, coaching source there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely definitely something to keep an eye on there. And uh, it, it, there's never really a, a clear answer of kind of how it all fell out in Houston with D'Antoni. It was kind of just more of a, a feeling of it, that he had his time there and it was just time to move on. So you don't really know what his relationship is with Harden. It'll, it'll be interesting, though, as the season progresses, if anything kind of comes out uh, in that in that regard. But, I mean... End of the day, still still early days in Brooklyn. Just give it give it a bit of time. We're if we're still talking about these struggles in a month or two. You can tell us we don't have a clue and that there really is a problem. But for now, let's just let's just give it time. Let's just enjoy the great offense of of the of the three superstars. And hopefully, end of the day, once it's clicking by April, May, the Nets have no problem. Yeah, and, and by then, a few names to keep an eye on. Um, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, Dwayne Dedman, Andre Roberson, three guys that are still free agents right now that can be signed to veteran minimums that could be huge additions. They've, they've been rumored by, by no sources. They're, they're just out there and on hoops hype and everything. But if you look at the, these are some guys that I looked at on the open free agent market, they need defense. They got it right there. They, they got Dwayne Dedman, who you can offer a little bit of spacing, and he'd fill a huge, huge gap in the uh, front court rotation there. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, that's a, that's a familiar face there in Brooklyn. You know that he can guard two through four, and he has enough strength to even give a little spot minutes at the five. And we already know what Andre Roberson can do. Nothing on the offensive end, but I, I imagine having him and Durant on the wing defensively, and as long as you got two of the stars out there, they could negate his negative offensive impact. But interesting names out there. I, I think three of these guys, I don't know if you had any other guys in mind, um, but people starting to speculate about what the Nets might do to finish this team up. Wonder if one of those names might be ultimately the guy that fills it out for them. Yeah, you have to think just knowing what the three guys can do and knowing what they'll offer the team, you have to think that at least at least one of those three, I think uh, they'll, they'll make, Brooklyn will probably make the move towards. I think they know they don't really need to worry about defense or about offense. They, they absolutely, they, they, they've solved that, that problem. Now it's fixing up the defense and just getting enough in there so that they are not forced to rely on James Harden and Kyrie Irving to step up big on the, on the defensive end for them. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's my, my takeaways. I think we covered enough of the, uh, Enough calves for sure. I think we'll we'll stop speculating wildly about the Nets for now. They're they're probably going to take up enough uh, pod time these days. But how about another Harden connection? We'll, we'll talk about a little Daryl Morey. Talk a little Morey ball. Well, biggest surprise was 
that they didn't make the move. It's coming out now that it came out just before it was announced that Harden was going to Brooklyn, that the Rockets were basically sifting through the offers from Philly and from Brooklyn, and they were going to make the decision. So Philly were very much in. The Rockets come back to them, asked for Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, and three first-round picks, and Philly pulled out. I'm going to say I respect the hell out of not making the trade, but the fact that they went in so much, they were very, they were very clearly in. They were absolutely willing to give up Ben Simmons. They had no problem with that. And then they went and pulled out, and I would just question that. What's that going to do for the chemistry of this Philadelphia team now? I think, you know, we, we speculated a little bit on this when the trade happened and and those reports were coming out after and Ben Simmons answered it. And it, it seems it, it seems like it's more of a sigh of relief. And I thought it was going to go one of two ways. And credit to Ben. He's always been the type of guy that he's he's a no no frills kind of NBA player. He's very professional. He took it with stride and. I think most NBA players, if if they are in the talks of a superstar dealing, they kind of understand that it's James Harden. It's a walking playoff ticket. They're going to make any sort of trade inquiry as is business, you know, like Daryl Morey's going to make those inquiries. And maybe even for Ben, even for Tyrese, it's actually almost comforting that all that wasn't worth it, you know, at the end of the day they weren't willing to give up Ben. They weren't willing to give up Tyrese. They, they weren't willing to give up those young guys because they maybe believe in where this is going. Um, I, I think that they'll work past this. And I'm interested to know what you think about 76ers this year. They've had some fluky games here and there. You know, they they had that that dead man walking squad with, with – uh, Maxi playing what 40, 40 some minutes in, in the loss against Denver, then playing a Heat team with no Adebayo and and Jimmy Butler. So it's been a, a weird COVID season for them. But your guy Embiid, he did it last night against the Celtics. He had another monster game. He's putting on MVP type performances. And is this the leap we've all been waiting for? I think it is. I, I hope it is. You can just never be a hundred percent sure when Embiid because it's just been it's just been so unfortunate for him that every time he starts to really look like the player that Philly thought he was gonna be when he was drafted, he seems to start picking up a little niggly injury and then he's kind of in and out of the team and it all just kind of boils over into nothing. But Philly, they're ten and five. They're Averaging near 114 points a game, their fourth in defensive rating. And Joel Embiid has just been an absolute monster. I mean, he's got 26 points, 11 boards, three assists to go with one and a half blocks and one and a half steals a game. I mean, this guy has been an absolute animal on both ends of the court. And Philly are finally just playing to him. And they're able to do it because he's been healthy, because he's been at 100%, this guy, and don't get me wrong, like this this guy has worked so hard. He's tried lots of different things to make sure that he was going to be able to stay healthy for an entire NBA season, something that he has struggled to do since he's come into the league. And I really just hope that he's got, he's got it right now. He's got his body right. 
and he is going to be this good all throughout the season and especially come playoff time. But I'm loving everything I'm seeing out of this guy and he's been so good that I'm really looking, I'm really high on Cleveland and especially when they get back uh, Seth Curry because he was he was dropping some big points uh, alongside. You, you, alongside still, you still got the Cavs on your mind. I think you mean Philadelphia. Can't get them off your mind, huh? <laughs> I know. Right? Well, they're going to be there for a while until until Brooklyn blows them out. <laughs> You're thinking about them in your sleep. You can't even get them off your mind. Look, I, I'm I'm in awe of it. And there, here's some interesting numbers too. On top of his his averages, is his on off metrics are off the charts right now, and they're what you expect from an MVP type candidate. This is a major thing that I think separates the great players on good teams versus the best players on average teams that that can make average teams into playoff teams into contenders and let's take take a look at this when Embiid's on the court the Sixers have a plus 10.1 net rating and when he's off it's negative 4.3 when Embiid's in the game the Sixers have averaged 114.7 points for 100 possessions and you don't know what that means that means they're right on par with the los angeles lakers offensively and you see it on the court you, you see how how much gravity he has and we'll, we'll talk i i want to talk now about about the game last night because i thought that was really indicative of his impact on this team um and by the way this is the first time they've actually played the celtics since they got bounced from the bubble so important game I mean, the caveat is Tatum wasn't playing and could say on the other side, 76ers best three-point shooter, Curry wasn't in and Mike Scott wasn't in. Um, hopefully we get Tatum back by Friday for the rematch. But in terms of how Embiid played, they had to double him every single time. And this is not just testament to how good Embiid has been, but I think also an indictment on the Celtics not having an answer for that because Embiid's making the right pass. He knows when to be aggressive. He knows when he's getting doubled. He can swing it. And you imagine that if you have Seth Curry out there, you're going to have an even better result. Just the amount of, of doubles that he's going to get for the rest of the year, I'd expect that his, his assist numbers go way, 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 way up compared to what it was last year. I mean, they have no other choice but to do so. He's just that dominant right now. Yeah, I think that was kind of the biggest thing. That's how that's why it was so important for Philadelphia to get Danny Green and, and Seth Curry in because I don't know if they were just hoping that Embiid was going to be this good this year or they, they knew from what they were seeing out of him, but they were really clever moves. And I think it's it's every everything's just clicking right now uh, for this Philly team. And they're all just – it's the work rate you're getting out of, out of the whole team. You love, you love to see. I mean, you look at Embiid, Harris, Simmons, and Shake Milton. They are all averaging above a steal a game, which is it just shows kind of the hard work they're doing. Like Shake Milton, I don't think he'll be coming off the bench for too much longer uh, because uh, poor old Maxi was uh, was didn't, didn't manage to put a point on the board there last night, and Milton has just been balling out. Uh, last night alone, he was seventeen points. And he was, he was, he's looking, he's looking really good. And I think it's been harsh on him to not give him 
the start. I mean, he's averaging 17 points, three and a half assists and a steal a game coming off the bench. And that's that's really been huge for, for this Philly team, especially in the times when they haven't had Embiid and obviously they've been without Curry now for a while as well. Yeah, I think Doc has some more choices to make with this roster. And when it comes by the end of the season and they got to figure it out in the playoffs, um, I think we'll see a lot of change from what we see now, who, who the starters are going to be, who's going to be coming off the bench, who's getting the most minutes. Um, I think I'm really interested to know how they end up keeping Danny Green in there. He's, he's had some hot games here and there, but I think you continue to see him be not, I mean, just not the same athlete, not the same shooter that he was before. Do you think that there's a place for Maxi? there's a place for Milton to replace that offense, especially if Danny Green's defense has clearly fallen off a bit? Possibly, yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the, the Lakers didn't push that bit harder to, to, to get to get Danny Green back is just he was showing signs of it late last season. I think he's still going to be an important piece for this Philly team, but he might just turn into uh, an important bench scorer. And maybe if he doesn't start games, he'll he'll be more focused on him kind of finishing out in the last kind of three four minutes of games because he is capable uh, of stepping up big on the defensive end, and he can always knock down a shot. So I think yeah, there is there. I think there is a bit of room. There is they haven't they haven't figured it out yet. As in, it's working at the moment. But I don't think they're dead set on this. They're they're going to be willing to to maneuver. One thing I'll say on Doc Rivers is every time I hear him speak, his voice gets croakier and more intimidating. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know what what he's doing, but I think he's evolving uh, into Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> in a year, in a year, he's going to be Tom Thibodeau, and and they'll and they'll both. And they'll both be duking it out in the playoffs, uh, Knicks and the 76ers. Hey, I'll, t- I'll take that any day of the week. One thing I will say is I like how this Philadelphia team will set up going up against the Bucks and uh, Brooklyn, to be totally honest. The only fear I would have, I'd be like, you'd need so much more out of Harris because unfortunately Simmons just can't put up enough points and is still struggling so much from the free throw line. But I mean, the Nets at at this moment wouldn't have anyone to get close to Embiid. I think Embiid would be capable of matching up with Durant and Simmons is more than capable of doing, doing a very good job on Kyrie or James Harden. And I think they they would they would be able to compete with with the Brooklyn team as it's set up now. Obviously, Brooklyn still have such elite offense and compared to to Philadelphia. But at this moment, I would kind of like I I'd be interested to maybe back Philly if that if that series that series came up at this very moment. But that that's early days and a lot of things <laughs> change. I mean, let's talk let's talk Celtics first. Let's talk Celtics first. How they. They really don't have a chance in my mind against the Celtics if Tatum's out there. The way that it looked this game, I think it was a little fluky in my mind. Embiid got to the free throw line 21 times. And Smart obviously had the comments that he had to make about 
um, and beads flopping, which is just hilarious to me. Like, dude, like look at yourself in the mirror and, and you're not allowed to talk about flopping for one second. If anyone in this league is allowed to talk about and beads flopping, like <laughs> it's, I, I think it's funny to me. Cause like they, they've created this, this little rivalry between them two, which um, being out here in Boston, it, the disrespect for the 76ers is real. They, they don't take them seriously, but I think they need to answer those questions first. This was a nice win, but if Tatum is back on Friday, they need to show that they can also keep up that that defensive effort against them. Because up to date, they uh, although they've been really good in the fast break, which you expect from from a team being run by by Simmons in the fast break, you expect them to be that good. You expect them to rebound well with the guys they have, but defensively they're they're still average right now I, I think the best quarter of defense that they've played yet was really against the Celtics here in the fourth and they they really held it down there so if I don't know if that's a sign that their defense has returned or if that was kind of fluky and how they were were playing the Celtics um but I'll I'll need to see them do it against Boston before I before I even start to pitch them against the Nets. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely, that's a, that's a fair point. I, I, I would just kind of look at it in the way that, obviously I still, it's so hard for me to just really commit to Ben Simmons because he does offer so much uh, on both ends of the court. It's just the questions always lingering in the back of your head. You know he could do a job on your opponent's elite score, but you also know that that guy is going to be capable of still putting up points while Simmons is pretty much always going to struggle to get points on the board. That's that's why I'm kind of like, I like how Philly are set up right now, but I would still worry that they may panic and try and make a move for maybe a more efficient scorer than, than Ben Simmons. That's, that's just a fear that I would have. Philadelphia. I don't think it's the right move for them, but I think it's something that Daryl Morey might try to work. I think, sorry, I was on mute there. Um, it was going to happen eventually. All these, all these podcasts over Zoom. That I'm surprised that was the first time I've been on mute there. I, I can't stop thinking about the the Harden trade. We got to put that in our rear view eventually. But the reason why that seemed like such a no brainer to me was the fact that. Simmons is no longer the, I mean, he's your point guard. I mean, by default in name, but the way they're running their sets, Doc Rivers is running it through Embiid and it's worked. That's been what's been the the working formula here. And to see so many possessions where Embiid is, is taking a double and Simmons is in the dunker spot and there's just no angle for it, or Embiid's posting up, and Simmons doesn't have a lane to go to. I've I said it in the preseason. I'll keep saying it now that that isn't the best way that this team works. And right now he's a supercharged role player. I, lo- I love it. Like I'll, I'll still respect the game because he's one of the league's best defenders. He's going to defend every single possession at an elite level. He's one of the best playmakers. He's probably the best open core scorer outside of Giannis right now, but in the half court, he still just looks lost. He, he, I mean, he had 11 points last night, and I haven't looked at his at his uh, fast breaks for him this year. But I, I guarantee you, it's it's very similar to last year, and that's where he's getting the bulk of his points. If the game slows down, 
there's nowhere for Ben Simmons to really thrive in this offensive system. And I, I think there, there have been some moments where Doc has staggered them a little bit and it's looked okay. But I think that when it comes to matching up with other teams, it's answering the question of how do you keep your two best players on the court at the same time? And I don't think there are a lot of answers that, that are really convincing. And that's going to continue to be the problem, even as we talk about Embiid's resurgence as an MVP candidate, even as we talk about um, the 76ers um, being an elite team. That's, that's still going to be the, the primary thing that holds me back from considering them as real contenders, considering them as, as guys that we can talk about matching up against the Nets, matching up against the Lakers. Okay, so we've had the Harden trade, and now the talk is switching over to another superstar who probably should want out. There's no real concrete evidence that he does want out. That's Bradley Beal. Right now, if you're Philadelphia, if you were able to get Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons Ooh. and two or three first-round picks, oh. is that a move you think you'd make? That, that, that you make in a heartbeat, in my mind, because there's the difference between him and Harden is, you know, maybe it's the age thing. Maybe it's the money thing. And he's on a cheaper contract. You have him under control for longer. And he's just hitting the apex of his prime. And you can argue you'll have another four years of that. And to have him next to Joel Embiid, that's, I mean, Bradley Beal matches up with anybody, but to have that outside scoring presence that you still get a lot of playmaking out of him. I guess the question is where where do you have a uh, you don't have a primary point guard really on this team besides Simmons but I mean man you make that in a second in a heartbeat and for for Washington I mean you get to re-up with a young player you get to re-up with a, a guy who you can argue would be able to fix their woes they could hopefully get rid of Russ eventually but I, I think that's a good deal for both sides I haven't even thought about that yet I like that one a lot yeah, no, that, that would be really interesting. And I, I would, I just really, I don't want to see Beal wasting any more time in Washington. I want to see Bradley Beal on a team that are capable of going deep in the playoffs. So I really hope he is kind of looking at the situation in Washington and like always you got to respect guys being loyal to the team that drafted them. But when you are capable of being one of the best players in this league, you have to do whatever you can to get yourself on a team that puts you in the best position to win it all. And that's something Bradley Beal's got to do. Whether that's going to be with Philly, I don't know, but I just hope now he is, he starts kind of being as aggressive as Harden was in, in trying to get out of, out of Houston. Not be too aggressive, but just kind of let them know that his time is done here and, and, and he wants to be moved on. Yeah, that situation in, in Washington isn't getting any, any better. Um, that trade is looking even worse now with Wall doing pretty well in Houston and Westbrook just being the worst that he's ever been. Um, I, I think the way that it can fix itself is unknown. And I think it's, it's unknown to, to um, Beal. And I, you got to think that he's pushing his way out. And I, I think I'd like that trade. That's going to be the best, the best trade that I've heard so far. Um, but I look forward to them fixing that situation. And hopefully that's the next trade we're talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're, we're all trade we're all trade happy now. I think uh, still got a little while to go until the trade deadline, so there's going to be uh, lots of different pieces uh, up, up in the air as we move towards the end of the season. Teams kind of building towards the playoffs. Teams trying to add pieces to make sure they get into the playoffs, and uh, that's definitely going to be something we'll be discussing on, on many future pods. But yeah. Harden was the big was that was the big trade, and Bradley Beal is is going to be a, a close second, and and a guy that that would demand a lot, and a guy that can have a huge impact on a number of teams around the NBA at this moment. For sure, we'll we'll be sure to to be working the uh, the trade mill as much as possible, uh, especially now that we're getting even more postponements. I'm I'm actually seeing um, Tatum is not going to be playing on Friday. Grizzlies are still not playing a, a couple more games now, but we'll, we'll just have to ride out the, the rest of this COVID, COVID madness that we got here. Um, get news that now in Boston, we have this, uh, the, the super UK virus that's gonna spread way faster. And we can't get the vaccine fast enough, man. Get it, get it out to everybody, get it to the players. These, these guys keep uh, the season alive. They keep this, this entertainment alive and keep this podcast alive for sure. Too right. I need that stuff running through my veins and so does everyone else. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think that's going to do it here today on this episode of Coast to Coast. Guys, thank you for joining us again. We'll see you again sometime soon. Ronan, my friend, it's good talking to you. Catch you later. Always good to talk to you, man. Take care. joining us on today's episode of coast to coast don't forget to hit us up on instagram and twitter at coast to coast nba podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show and remember take every shot and love every moment